1: I'm Paul Chapman from Post Media, and this is the Off the Post Hockey Podcast. Off the Post is produced by Quana. I'm Paul Chapman. Thanks to Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun for joining us here. Uh, If you like this podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and give us a nice five-star rating. Jim, uh, very timely. We wanted to talk to you this week, not only because of your great experience and expertise in covering the NHL, um, but we saw... Almost a changing, I don't want to say a changing of the guard, but we saw old versus young in Edmonton and Pittsburgh. And, of course, that's going to center on Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. Um, Let's start with the overtime goal. What was the atmosphere like in Edmonton?
2: Somewhat deflating because the owners had played really well. And uh, uh, McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl both had excellent games. And we hadn't... uh, heard or seen from uh, Sidney Crosby since early in the hockey game, and then uh, at the worst possible uh, time, uh, he uh, turned Ryan Strom inside out and then uh, sent a backhand by Cam Talbot. So, uh, the, If you're a Penguin fan, uh, you loved it. If you're an Euler fan, you probably thought, gee, we scored five goals, and if not the best player in the world, the second best player in the world just uh, just beat our team. So, I think if you're an Oilers fan, though, you probably thought, "Geez, I wish we would see ten of these a month instead of just the Penguins coming once all year." And I'm sure that's the way it is in a lot of Canadian buildings, where the Penguins only come west uh, once and 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 play the Oilers.
1: Yeah, and those nights are special, I have to say. Obviously, with the way they've changed the schedule, it d- did highlight for me though a little bit this changing of the guard in the in the NHL. And you're you know you've seen this. You've seen McDavid in Edmonton. But there's something I, I find it fascinating this year in the NHL. Obviously we've just seen Ovechkin win a cup. Before that it was Crosby. And now you are seeing obviously McDavid's been there for a couple of years now, but you're seeing the emergence of Austin Matthews in in Toronto. Do you think this is it's it's like the way it's shaping up, there's almost a dividing line between the old NHL and the new and the new players. How are you seeing this talent division between uh really across the league and the stars that they need to market?
2: Well, there are I mean Todd McClellan yesterday said he's never seen so many good young players in the league. And Mike Sullivan echoed that uh, yesterday morning before the game, too. I I mean, I've covered the league an awful long time, which means I'm really old and (laughs) I was covering Wayne Gretzky when he was 18. So uh, it does seem like there's more high-end young players right now than there ever have have been. And and pretty much every team has one player where you say, oh, man, man, that player's good and he's in his early 20s. It used to be this, you know, the star players were 25. Now they're all 20, or 18, or 19. So their shelf life is going to be a little bit longer than in the past when a player didn't get to his prime till 25. Now it seems like the players in his prime after he's played about 100 games in the NHL, if he's a real star player, whether that's McDavid or Austin Matthews or uh, you know Jack Eichel or anybody like that, uh, they're stars right away. There's not a lot of of downtime for those players, and I think it's 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 speaks to the to the NHL. It also speaks to the skill development of a lot of young players. Uh, they're ready to play in the NHL right away because they they've been taught better by better coaching and had more skill development before they get to the NHL. And there's not as much, uh, you know, I guess hand holding uh, of young players, star players, as there used to be.
1: So if if you look at McDavid, obviously you deal with him on a regular basis. Um, how frustrated do you think he is in Edmonton right now? Or not, I shouldn't say in Edmonton, but just with the lack of progress on this team, although they're off to an okay start. Um, when you look at even with Alex Ovechkin, to me, there's almost a validation that winning a cup brings to put you in that next echelon. And so I think that's the that's the next challenge for these young stars is to have – you know, is to still get those championships. It's still the benchmark in hockey. You're obviously spoiled with this in Edmonton going back, because that team was littered with superstars and they had the cups to prove it. How do you sense McDavid's mindset is when, especially when he goes up against players like Ovechkin or Crosby?
2: Well, he's never going to tell you that that you know he wants to beat beat them and get more points than they do. Uh, the star players don't like talking about themselves very much. Uh, even after last night's game where Crosby got the winner, he he talked about the challenge of going against Connor McDavid, but in general terms, and, you know, you had to pull on the rope an awful long time to get, get, you know, a quote from Sydney where he said, yeah, I wanted to make sure I outplayed Connor McDavid. But, you know, in Edmonton, uh, I sense that, that McDavid likes the challenges. I think he'd like winning more. I think uh, at the beginning of the year when he got a point in, in, Nine straight Edmonton Oiler goals. He said it was more embarrassing than exhilarating and exciting (laughs) for him. That says a lot. Uh, It just showed that there wasn't a heck of a lot other than him, and I think he needs some help. And that's, you know, he likes the challenge of playing the other great players, but I think he'd like to win a lot more when you're in your fourth year in the league uh, and you've only had the one really good year uh, when the owner's got 103 points. I wouldn't say the clock's ticking when you're only 21 years old, but I think he'd, he'd... I think he hungers more for team wins than 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 winning scoring titles and being called the best player in the world. Those are gonna come anyway, but he sees Sidney Crosby with three Stanley Cups and he's got none. Uh he sees Malkin with uh, three, he sees Ovechkin now with one, uh you know, Kane and Taves in Chicago with several and he has none. So I think that's his, his number one Uh, goal at this present time as it was for Gretzky in his early days no matter what he did in terms of points and the heart trophies and the scoring titles uh they didn't win for five years so the clock was ticking on him as it was in for Mario Lemieux in in Pittsburgh as well
1: uh what did you think the mindset is of, of Crosby when he plays a player like Matthews or McDavid it seems like sometimes I mean that was a special goal last night but he is a guy who does seem to rise to to those challenges even a personal one like facing another young star
2: uh that's a good question. I don't know. Uh In Crosby's case, I, he's been a star since he was 18. So I I guess he's been waiting this long for somebody to come and be as good as him. <laughs> I don't think he test I don't think he cares much about the the personal challenges. I think you know, inwardly he might. I don't think it it matters. I think the 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 whole Matthews uh McDavid uh who's better uh is probably maybe brings a smile to Sidney Crosby's, uh, face, you know, it, you know, whatever happened to me sort of thing. But, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's great for the whole, you know, the country to have two players of the magnitude of Crosby or of Matthews and McDavid playing in Canada and not have one of them say playing down in Florida where, where, you know, they're not getting the, the, the buzz and a hype. And, uh, uh, to have Matthews in in Toronto and Gret- in McDavid in Edmonton. I think a lot of fans can salivate and say, you know, gee, wouldn't it be great in a couple of years if Toronto was playing Edmonton in the Stanley Cup final and it was Matthews against uh, against uh, McDavid.
1: You know, you, you can look at a guy like Ovechkin, Jim, who's seemed, especially last year after the one, embraces this larger-than-life kind of hot dog role. And the stereotypical Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, um, I don't want to say reluctant superstar, but you know they're trying to not stand out. Just let their play do. They're talking for them, but this is as the NHL has tried to sell in places like Florida. It is about star power. It is about being the face of the game. How do you think Connor McDavid looks at that end of the
2: sport? The whole star power thing. Yeah, uh, yeah being the face of the being NHL, being the face of the game. Uh, I think he, he. I guess he accepts it. The whole star power thing. I think it would be kind of suffocating if it was. With me where, you know, you never had a, a free breath and everybody wanted to talk to you every day, but I think he's embraced it since he was about 12 years old. So the whole star power thing, I think he, I think he's one of those players who would rather play in, in a market that cares about hockey than being the best player in South Florida or, uh, you know, or the best player in, in some other smaller market uh, in the U.S. South that, where football is king not hockey i think i think he relishes the idea idea that that he's a big wheel in a country that cares so much about hockey and if all the trappings that go with it and also the pressure and i think he, he embraces the pressure just as austin matthews embraces the pressure in toronto and uh you know as I guess, I think in Ovechkin's case, and Crosby's case, they they were lucky enough to go to American markets that cared about hockey. Certainly Pittsburgh uh, has won some Stanley Cups. Uh, and Washington just won a Stanley Cup, but they've been a good team for a long time. And the fan bases there are really strong. So, And same with Chicago with Kane and Taves. So those players are playing markets that care about hockey. Uh, I don't know how it would be if if McDavid and Matthews were playing some place that was uh, where hockey was third on the totem pole myself, but uh, they are not, and we're uh, grateful for it.
1: So you you mentioned about that you know these guys getting excited to be in a hockey market. Do you? I know we have our own thoughts out here in Vancouver, but do you see that when guys like Ovechkin who's was just in Vancouver the other night and we just saw a video of him in Whistler throwing axes wearing a lumberjack outfit um, and Crosby who will be here on the weekend. Like, do you sense how excited they are when they get to come and play in markets that number one, maybe are a little more refreshing than playing in Philadelphia for the 12th time in a season, or, you know, just where people actually really
2: care about the game. Uh, I think so. I, you know, it's a bit of a circus when, when, Certainly, Ovechkin put up with it very. When he started scoring goals so early in in Washington, he, he would come west, and only once. And it became a circus to watch Alex Ovechkin, and the same thing for Crosby, uh, when he was good for so. I think they embrace the idea of coming to Canada to play. I I, especially in a market like Toronto or Montreal or in Western Canada, uh, and they also know they're only coming once, and. I don't know if putting on a show is the right word, but uh, people are paying good money, not just to watch the home team play. In 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 the case of, you know, thirty to forty, thirty out of the forty home games, when the stars come, they also have to put on a show. It's, you know, I guess it's like going to Broadway. You're, you're expecting uh, a pretty good show, or you go watch uh, Bruce Springsteen, you're expecting a pretty good show, and and you don't want to dis- disappoint. And for the most part, neither Sydney or uh, Ovechkin disappoints, and I think they like the. They both. Ovechkin has a, a more, a bigger personality than Sid does in terms of. The spotlight. He likes to be in the spotlight. Uh, I think we showed that when they won the Stanley Cup in Washington this year, how excited he got. Uh, I think he relishes it a little bit more, and he's a little more outward than than Sid is. But for the Oilers on this homestand, it's pretty good. They you know they drew. They've had Nashville, and then they had Pittsburgh, and now they have Washington. That's three, two huge uh, teams with big market players in Nashville, one of the best teams in the NHL. So if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, regardless of the wins or losses, you're getting your money's worth in this week.
1: You really are, and that's a great segue, Jim. We're going to break here for the first – at the end of the first period, we'll be back in a moment where we'll talk
0: about the Canadian teams and the top of the NHL standings. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once off the post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's Ten Three Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the Off the Post podcast. I'm Paul
1: Chapman, where I'm talking to post-media hockey legend Jim Matheson in Edmonton. Jim, we were all just talking about the old versus new and talking about hockey markets and what works and what doesn't. Looking at the standings, you know, going into the season, there were a lot of people picking the Canadian teams to really dominate the bottom five or six spots. And while Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Ottawa, uh, they're not exactly at the top of the league, They've done better, I think, than most teams or a lot of analysts thought. And if you look at the top of the Stanley yeah, J, you got Nashville there, you got Colorado. But to see Montreal and Toronto right up there as well, and, and Winnipeg were so close to the, the Stanley Cup last year. Is this the year that we're going to see a
2: Canadian team break a Stanley Cup drought? Well, I predict Winnipeg would be in the finals okay. this year against Tampa. I predict Tampa every year. They're kind of my <laughs> East Coast, uh, uh, Eastern San Jose Sharks all those years I kept. Thinking San Jose was going to win the cup, so I it, the law of averages suggests there's got to be at least a Canadian team with a really good chance to win. Uh, I thought Winnipeg last year when they knocked off Nashville could could get to the Cup final, but then they seemed to run out of gas. It took them so much just to get through Nashville, uh, and that Vegas outplayed them. So I I do think this is a chance. I think the early part of an NHL s- season is. F- f- uh, a fool's errand, though, trying to, you know, just because a team looks good in the, in the first couple of weeks, three weeks of a season, win some games doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they're going to carry it through. And Montreal's played better, and Ottawa has played better than I thought they would. I thought they'd be in the bottom five teams in the league, uh, and they might still be, it, you know, in April. Uh, but they have played better. I think uh, Calgary's been about as good as I thought they'd be. I think Vancouver, everybody thought that, Vancouver would, you know, didn't have the offense to, uh, to carry things through, or the goaltending, and then when Pedersen got hurt with a concussion, that kind of derailed them a bit. Um, Winnipeg's still by far. I Toronto's good. Winnipeg's better. Winnipeg's just deeper. But they're they're the two best Canadian teams. And in the Oilers' case, you know, I sat beside an NHL GM a while back, and he said, "How can the Oilers not get 40 wins when they've got Connor McDavid?" And I said, "Well, watch him play." You know, they've got Connor McDavid, but they don't, their team is very flawed. And I think as long as you've got the best player in the world, if that's what Sidney Crosby says, you should win more than they do. But I remember going back to the Gretzky days. He had Messier and Curry and Coffee and Fuhrer and Kevin Lowe and Glenn Anderson. They never would have won without those players, too. And one player in hockey, especially when you only play 20 minutes out of 60 as a forward, the other 40 minutes, you better have some pretty good players, or you're not winning. So uh, the orders are right where they sh- probably should be, considering the f- the month they've had. They've played seven games, and only one of those games against the Rangers have they played a team that wasn't at least two games over 500. So uh, they played Boston twice, they played Pittsburgh, they played Nashville, they played Winnipeg. So they played some really tough teams, and they're three, three, and one. So I think credit to them, but Calgary and Edmonton both look like teams that might finish third in the division and get into the playoffs, but whether they're going to challenge for the Stanley Cups, another story. So let's stick
1: with the Oilers for a second. And this, as you know, this story has been kicking around for several years is or whether it's, they need a defenseman or they need a goalie with all the high first round picks. Obviously some of them
2: haven't worked out, been some significant trades there. What do the Oilers need? They need lots actually. <laughs> um, like I said, they are very flawed. Uh, there's not enough scoring on the wing. To their three best players are centers uh, in McDavid, Drysaitl, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, who is playing the wing with McDavid now. There's not a lot of wingers that can score goals. Uh, their defense, they, they're they have a pretty good top four, but they don't really have a five and a six at the present time. So they need some help there. I they need a top end offensive defenseman if you've got a top and uh, player in McDavid. And Mario Lemieux knew that when C- Paul Coffey went to Pittsburgh. And Wayne Gretzky knew that when Paul Coffey was in Edmonton. I think you need an offensive defenseman. They do not have one of those yet. Uh, an offensive Eric Carlson type to go with McDavid. And I don't know how you get one of those, but they could use one of them. And they need some sc- some scoring on the wing. I, I, I'm i sure, hindsight being uh, the usual 2020, I think a line with... Uh, Connor McDavid at center with Taylor Hall on left wing and Jordan Eberle in right wing would look pretty good, but <laughs> Hall's in Jersey and Eberle's in Long Island.
1: Yeah, the uh, when you're constructing a team, it's not just always about the 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 offense. Obviously, you need to balance that a little bit. Um, but speaking of that, both offensive defensemen and and building a team. What is your thoughts on Toronto? Because, yeah, people thought the Leafs would be good this year, obviously going on and getting Tavares to pair with Matthews, and another superstar in there. But I look at the start that they're off to, and we all hate in the West when Toronto is good. But, I mean, Matthews, Morgan Riley, uh, I know there still may be questions about what they do in goal and about their defense. But, honestly, this is the best Toronto team I can remember seeing since, well, certainly the days of Doug Gilmore.
2: I agree. Uh, defense, it's funny – Defenseman. Uh, every team has a number one defenseman, but he's not really a true number one defenseman. You know, like Morgan Riley is a really good player in Toronto, but would you say he's one of the 12 to 15 best defensemen in the league? Probably not, but he's number one in Toronto. Well, and honestly, Edmonton, though, Jim, they've got last a lot week of twos I was reading and threes and fours, but no number one So the whole defenseman thing, they're all offensive defensemen now. You notice that teams every defen- every team that wants to draft a player now it has to be an offensive defenseman and if he's five foot eleven and weighs hundred and eighty five pounds that's fine that has really changed uh from the days when you know they were taking a six foot four inch defenseman uh who could you know was abrasive and stuff like that but the 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 offensive defensemen are the i think along with centers are the hardest things to find in hockey, and defensemen play a lot more than the center so if you can get a number one defenseman who can play. 25 to 30 minutes. You want that even more than a number one center. And the Oilers got the number one center, and they got a number two center, but they have no defenseman who can put up points. And I I don't know where they find one. And then that's up to the general manager to trade for one, because you usually you don't draft one. As a lot of teams look every year to try to find a defenseman. And, uh, they draft them, but they're not Eric Carlson, and they're not Drew Doughty, um, or Victor Hedman. They don't come along too often.
1: Yes, sorry, I I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I was going to joke that I'm reading a lot of Toronto media last week where you said, is Morgan Riley a top five defenseman? And a lot of them were saying he was the new Bobby Orr last week because of the points he was putting up, but small sample size, no doubt. Um, Let's switch to Montreal. I'm sure he felt
2: embarrassed when they threw Bobby Orr's name yeah, beside probably. Morgan I'll, Riley, too. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get to some other It's a compa- little presumptuous. Yeah, I'll it's, get it's to like some other comparisons later. Wayne Gretzky's name beside them. You know, it's well, a little presumptuous. And uh, uh, I think Bob, I, I didn't see Bobby Orr play that many games live, uh, but I suspect that he's a little bit better player than Morgan Riley, and Morgan Riley knows it. And uh, um, Morgan Riley's his own man. He's not Bobby Orr.
1: Just to go back to that, I had it on my list for later, but since you mentioned it, in Vancouver, they're calling Elias Pettersson the Swedish Gretzky. I know you you were covering Gretzky at his pomp. I do find it funny. This kid has looked great out here, but we're like four or five games in, and people are already, you know, obviously you're going to be excited if you're a Canucks fan, but we need to, we need to see much more out of these
2: kids before we make those examples. But what do you think of the youth movement in Vancouver? Well, I think Pettersson's an outstanding offensive player. Uh if I'm them I would be saying that we hope he's the next Henrik Sedin not Wayne Gretzky. You know, he had he had the Sedins there for you know, you know, close to 20 years and and that would be my uh, my role model more than Wayne Gretzky. Pettersson is a he's better than I thought he was and he they haven't played Vancouver in a league game yet, but they played him a couple of times in the exhibition season, and he he was absolutely dominant against uh, not completely an NHL roster, but he made it look pretty easy. And I think if he stays healthy, he'll win the Rookie of the Year. I think he's the best young player. And But to say he's uh, Wayne Gretzky, again, I don't know. I mean, are, are these fans saying that, or, or are these KG media people saying that
1: a little of both. Of course, the KG media oh, okay. people leading the fans. Well, you know that the fans—they know way more than we do. So yeah. they're
2: little—they jump on the, the gun a little.
1: Little starved out here in Vancouver, but I did want to flip back to Montreal and tie in something that you were talking about. They might be the most surprising team in the NHL when you look at their point total for sure. um You talk about dominating defensemen about true number one defensemen. They named Shea Weber captain, and of course he's been dealing with an injury. They've still got Shea Weber to really come in and make an impact on that team. Is this something sustainable by by the Habs? They've you know obviously they've had to change the team, they got rid of already. They've made the last couple of years. They've shed some pieces. They've changed the coach. Uh, is it sustainable for Montreal, or is this just a hot start that's going to fade away?
2: I think it's a hot start. They early in a season, the better teams often get beat by teams that aren't as good. I think it's it, it's you know, if you're a Montreal Canadian fan, it's heartwarming that the Canadians aren't the Detroit Red Wings right now with one win. Uh and I I'm sure a lot of people were looking at the early going and said, "Oh, man, we could be in the lottery here for sure." Um but I I I just don't see enough depth in in their scoring to 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 continue and their defense is is not deep. They do have the goaltender, uh, but I don't know if you can win a whole lot of games two one in this league. There's, you know, there's a fair bit of offense in this league, so I I don't think it's sustainable. But I'm if I'm Montreal, I'm, their current roster, I'm looking at it and so, saying, you know, gee, if we could just get 85 points, that would be pretty good. Uh, not a terrible team, uh, not a great team, but a team that's competitive. And, uh, and if you're in Montreal, while they like winning, I think being competitive is just as important for a fan going to the rink and paying all that money for a team that at least is going to be on the same ice with another team and, and has a chance to win now whether they win enough I don't know if I don't know if Carey Price can turn back the clock and play like Carey Price did 2 3 years ago before he started getting hurt and you know before you looked at his birth certificate and saw that he was around 30 now not uh, 23 so I don't think it's sustainable but um Last year, I said the orders would win the Stanley Cup, so what do I know? (laughs) Jim, you are such
1: a pro. That's an expert uh, segue. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to talk about Carey Price and the role of goalies in the NHL. I also have a special Euler-related question that I want to ask you when we return.
0: How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10-3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome
1: back to the third period. This is the Post Media Off the Post podcast. I'm Paul Chapman in Vancouver, joined by Jim Matheson in Edmonton. Um, Jim, we were just talking about Carey Price in Montreal and whether it's sustainable for the Habs, but historically, Carey Price has now tied Patrick Waugh for the second most wins in Canadians history. Now, of course, you had the iconic Ken Dryden there who back in the 70s, goalies would play so much more than they do today. They split the load a lot more today. Um, And Price certainly was an elite NHL goaltender a couple of years ago, but where do you rank him? I mean, Wah had the blowout, went to to Colorado, but it seems to me a couple of years ago, Carey Price was a true legitimate superstar. Obviously he's had some injury issues, but how do you rank him in terms of where the Montreal Canadiens greats?
2: Uh, It's funny how about goaltenders. I think the shelf life for a goaltender to be good for is shorter or it's a narrower shelf than a, a, a forward or a defenseman. I think it has a lot to do with the team in front of you. If you don't have a very good group of defensemen and some forwards that don't come back often, you're you're made to look average instead of great. Although, what am I saying? Dominic Hasek played behind a very average Buffalo team for years and kept winning uh, Vezina trophies and won the Hart Trophy, so he won those by himself. I think he's... He used to be number one, clearly. I think he's in the top 10 now. I don't think he's, you know, on the nights when he's playing well, he's probably still in the top three. On nights where he's he's, he's not quite the goalie he was, he's probably still no worse than 10th. But considering how, how he was a couple of years ago, he was clearly number one. And when they were picking Canadian Olympic teams, he was always Carey Price and nobody else. I think, you know, it's dropped off. But I don't think it's much different than a lot of goalies. I mean for the longest while Henrik Lundqvist in in New York was top 3 well now he's in the top dozen maybe you get older uh it's tough playing every game and when so much pressure is on the goaltender to win games i think you can be made to look ordinary on some nights when you're certainly not ordinary whether he can carry w- whether he can win 10 games for Montreal that they shouldn't win to get him 20 points it's possible but it's not as easy as it used to be, as we were pointing out earlier, with all these young offensive players, where there's a lot of games now are four-three, uh, and not quite so many two-one. Uh, so uh, it's a long, it's a long answer to a short question. I think he's still good, but he's not as good as he used to be.
1: Well, no, it's it's ironic that you would say that because so many things are cyclical in the NHL, and you know, you lived through the Grant Fuhrer era, where you know he would make enough big saves to have them win the game, maybe you know. Six four or, or six three, and it seems to me, at least at the start of this NHL season, that we are seeing far more offense. Um, now the goalies are complaining that it's because they made their equipment smaller, and some of them are actually complaining about being hurt by that. But do you see uh, this being a good trend for the NHL, or again, is this just a small sample size at the start of the season, or do you think we're in for a year where we're going to see more offense than we've seen in the
2: past? I hope we see more offense. The fans are paying the money; they want to see four or three. They don't want to see they don't want to see 3-1 every night or 3-1 empty net goal. I don't, I think they want to see more offense. Now, that's tough on goaltenders, but uh, I always fall back in the old Glenn, Glenn Hall theory that nobody forces kids to become goaltenders, and if they give up too many, that's their problem. If they say they're hurt by the shots because they don't have enough equipment on or the equipment's more form-fitting, that's their problem. They're goaltenders, and they, they signed up for that when they wanted to be goaltenders. Uh... I don't think I think goal tenders are as good as they used to be. I just think with 30 more than 30 teams, there's not enough depth to have a have a great defense in front of them and make sure you're only seeing 20 shots a game anymore. You know, the days of Marty Brojer in, in Jersey, you don't see game after game after game where teams are only seeing 20 shots now. You're seeing closer to 30 and in a lot of cases You know, a dozen really tough stops a goalie has to make if you're seeing 30. So, and I, you know, teams are dressing fifth and sixth defensemen that aren't the caliber, anywhere near the caliber of the top four. You know, apart from, say, Nashville, their top four is the best in the league. But most teams don't can't field six outstanding defensemen, so the puck's in their end more than they would like, and that falls back on the goaltender. And their goal averages, as you pointed out in the early part of the season, uh, are high and the save percentages are not as, as, you know, 920 and up as we would normally see. Now, I hopefully the goaltenders come back and, and it is closer to, to the median where, you know, a 920 save percentage is really good. But we're seeing a lot of goalies now, whether you're Cam Talbot here or Braden Holtby in Washington, closer to 9 or less than that. Instead of being nine twenty, nine thirty. and there are some outliers to that. John Gibson in, in Anaheim has been tremendous. The only reason they're they're winning games because they don't have much offense now. But for the most part, goaltenders are are not showing what they can do in the early going because because the shooters have the upper hand, and a lot of those shooters burn out after after six weeks. But right now, the the shooters certainly have it over the goalies.
1: One of the things we like to do here is, uh, in our last segment, is is talk about any. I know it's early, but any trade rumors or rumors about job security with coaches and and general managers. There, we typically like to get to the. I know that everyone says the American Thanksgiving period to kind of understand what teams are and and not think that they're just you know victims of a, of a bad schedule or or you know benefiting from a good schedule. Uh, are you hearing that there might be a lot of trade activity? It seems to me without any real Stanley Cup frontrunners this year, there's a lot of teams that maybe think well, they're in I'd, touching I'd, distance.
2: It always goes back to the teams that struggle out of the gate. They're the ones that are trying to make a trade. Uh, there are some trades that get made in season, like last year early in the season where Vattenen got traded for Adam Henrik, a one-for-one. One. Those sort of things happen. The team I would be watching most closely now is the LA Kings. They're 2-6-1. and one. That's not what they expected. I think they need some offense. I think they would, I'm hearing they would trade Martinez on defense. The owners would take Martinez in a heartbeat, I'm sure, because uh, they need a veteran defenseman. But is there anybody, we all know eventually Bobrovsky and Panarin and Columbus will probably get traded rather than let them go to free agency. At least I would try to get something for, for one or both. But that's much deeper into the season. Right now, I don't think there's going to be a, a trade where it comes out of nowhere where I say, where did that one come from? But the teams that start and are only, have only won two of six or seven or eight games, they're certainly looking and they're, and they're saying, what's going on here? And another team I would th- I would think that has to get better defensively is Philadelphia. They give up four and five goals every game. They score lots, but they give up way too many, and they're not playing very well either. And Historically, Philadelphia always makes lots of trades, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if uh, they make one before U.S. Thanksgiving as well. And I'd like to see the Oilers make one too, but uh, they don't have a lot of cap room, and I'm not so sure that their general manager right now isn't a little gun-shy, Peter Chiarelli. Yeah. I think uh, he's taken lots of heat for some of the trades he's made, uh and I think he knows he needs a defenseman, but he doesn't have a lot to give up short of his first round draft pick.
1: Well, I know that's gonna I know Shirley is one of the guys people talk about being on the hot seat, and I'm sure depending on how the season goes for them, um, we'll see what happens there. Now we're gonna finish with one thing I've been dying to ask you. We talked a lot about Connor McDavid, you referenced a lot of the Euler greats, we talked about comparisons to great players like Wayne Gretzky. You know, I do look at that embarrassment of riches that you covered back in the '80s. Whether you th- you know you can throw in a goalie like Grant Fury, you've got a Paul Coffey, obviously Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson,
2: all the guys you mentioned. Where do you put
1: Connor McDavid in the list of Oiler greats?
2: Oh, he'd, he he could play on that team. I think they'd find a spot for him. I think <laughs> I think what they would do is they'd move Messier to the wing. They put Messier on left wing with Connor McDavid on the second line. I think McDavid would be the second line center, Gretzky be the first line center with Curry and a. Messier would be on left wing, with uh, McDavid and Glenn Anderson on right wing.
1: That would be some team. Do you, in in the list of Oiler greats, do you rank him above Messier? And how do you rank him versus Gretzky? I guess he has to win a cup. He's still so young before you could even begin to to put him in the Gretzky uh, conversation in terms of the best Oiler ever.
2: Well, Gretzky's the best player ever. Uh, Messier. It's funny when we're. I see Mark Messier a little differently than some people when they when they have these 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 polls as to the 100 greatest players and whatever. Messi always seems like he drops out of the top, you know, into the 20 range or something. I don't see it myself. I think he's the best leader that's ever played in the NHL. as a forward anyway. Uh, I I think he's a – he and Wayne were different sorts of players. Wayne was, was the offensive juggernaut, and Mark had lots of offense, but was the power uh, – crash and and uh to the flash and then Connor mcdavid uh, he's the fastest player i've ever seen in my entire life and messier could really skate and paul coffee could skate but i've never seen a player who could skate faster than Connor mcdavid with a puck and a stick so i don't know who his uh his skating coach was when he was two years old but uh every player should be trying to hi- try to hire him because uh uh nobody would play as fast as he he could and uh I'm sure Glenn Saylor would have found room for him somewhere on that uh, that uh, juggernaut in the 80s. That's, that's all I know.
1: That's great stuff, Jim. I want to thank you for doing this. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, thanks to Dharmakwana for producing this podcast. Again, it's the Off the Post Post Media Hockey Podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe so you can listen every week. Give us a rating. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week.